Welcome to Peter Bread Quarterly Slush Pile. Thank you for tuning in. Um, we're here to share with you our some poetry poems that have been submitted to us and our editorial policy, which is a democratic one. Um, the way we're going to handle this poem is how we handle everything that is submitted to PBQ. Um, we do ask our poets for secondary permission before we discuss it on the show. And um, let's just start getting to it by introducing who's here today. So I'm here. And by here, I mean my um, third floor space. So I like to use a virtual background, you guys, because if I don't, I look like my head's crooked or like I'm defying the law of gravity. Watch. Watch. Let me show you what happened. I want to see. I want to see. Oh, my God. No, you should go. You should go to your fantastic walk-in closet. <laughs> you should go. You should yes, go to your amazing you walk-in closet. <laughs> my, my students and I are talking about giving each other tours of our rooms. So I'm on a third floor, which means I have a dormant wall, which means it looks like I am sitting sideways or something. Um, so I think it's more less confusing to have a virtual background in the back. Um, so anyway, we can all talk about our virtual backgrounds instead of our physical spaces, since our <laughs> physical spaces are remaining the same. Um, loyal slushies will know that I love when something new is happening, when we have a new guest or we're in a new space or something like that. And um, today we have a combination of old and new in that we have um, one of our wonderful and very long-term editors alex tooney joining us on the podcast for the very first time hello alex hello how are you all <laughs> good i'm good tell us about uh, you um uh, oh geez i thought uh went to st rose for undergrad went to new school for mfa uh reader writer um how long do you think you've been with us i think it's been about Oh, 112 God. years or i want to say 2013 well, like right after grad school i jason bright at no. the school oh no it's before then i interned it was before you were an intern when you were still at st rose when you were an undergraduate it was like 2008 or something yeah that's a yeah that's what i'm saying 118 years 110 ago. years yes <laughs> since like i mean not since the 20th century but pretty close <laughs> you've been here for a century for century. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. so happy to have you join us on the show today. Maybe we'll stay in New York and hear about Jason. Hi, I'm in Brooklyn. I'm trying to change my background to a Hilma off Klimt in honor of today's poem, but I'm not. Oh really yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm I'm in um, I'm in New York. I'm in Brooklyn, and I've learned that it's very important to leave the house every day because if I don't, I get agoraphobia. Oh. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I didn't leave the house for like, not that long. It was just like a day. I didn't go out because, you know, we had enough groceries. We had enough this, we had enough that. And then the next day I went outside, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I've learned it's really important to spend like a little street time, you know, yeah. every day. Um, but yeah, I am in Brooklyn um, and like everyone else, I'm doing everything in the world from my home. Yep. Yes. Yep. Uh, so, out there in Abu Dhabi land, Sam. Hi, everyone. My name is Samantha Nukabauer. I'm here in Abu Dhabi, um, but I am originally from Philadelphia. And I'm really excited to talk about poetry today. I was sad to hear that Avon Bolin died today. Oh, shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, so I think cool. that today is like the right kind of day to read some poems. And Shit. I'm here with uh, Marion. Hi, who's just now hearing that Aiden Bullen died. Yeah, listen. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I was going to mention that, and I was going to ask you, Marion, to put a link to her poem, Quarantine. You got it. Um, on this episode. It's... Uh, it's very interesting, and you know when I was um, when I was in Ireland, she actually came to the University of Cork and and read, and she read that poem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's link to that poem. She's just very imposing, lovely lady. I mean, she was, she was yeah. just sort of this like statuesque yeah. like, quality, right? Like she was just this sort yeah. of like force. Yeah, and been so sweet and kind, and you know I only met her once, but she was so not acting like she was anything special. Do you know what I mean? Just very warm and engaging and lovely. Oh, but such a, yeah. and, such, and such a special voice, right? So right. we will link, we will link, we will link and, and you know, light to Avon Boland. All right, so I'm going to do something that's a bit of a non sequitur. And slushies, you can't really see this because it's a video effect. So Jason, this is for you. Note the sort of basic green t-shirt that I'm wearing that nonetheless <gasps> oh, oh wow i would have worn color. my fringe if i had known that we were wearing a, if we were doing a fringe episode i would have i would have worn my although because <laughs> the, the 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 sweater i have with like the two foot fringe nice. that gets caught in stuff but it's also easier to pull back but the the one with the like the six inch fringe like it's sort of in some ways more manageable, but much harder to eat in. Well, I'm glad to hear you say you get stuck in stuff because twice today, passing from room to room, the fringe on the arm got stuck to a doorknob. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a hazard. It's like, you have to, you really like, it's, it's like platform shoes. It, is. Uh, it takes a certain skill and talent and practice, but yeah, there, slushies, a- I have a, a t-shirt on with, with about foot long fringe off the back that is in honor of, of Jason's wonderful leather jacket. <laughs> I, I have so many photos. <laughs> I have a significant number. Yes, I was going to say, Sam, we need yeah. her to turn around again and take a photo of the screen, right? <laughs> to see that fringe. Although I have to say, after Tiger King, I was like, maybe I should stop wearing fringe. Oh, please. <laughs> Own it. All right. Although so I'm that, not going to dye my mullet. That might <laughs> <laughs> you um, should go for a mullet, Jason. Now, it's going to during happen. During these times. <laughs> Just I, I am insisting that headbands are the answer. I know that many of my compatriots in quarantine are going for the head shaving moment, and I am insisting headbands and scarves until the salons reopen and it's safe. I'm I'm planning to rock a, a little Edie look in the next week. <laughs> <laughs> I've got like foot long roots here. Um, it really is the best so- outfit for the day. <laughs> <laughs> it's so off. I get to it, but I love her voice. <laughs> We'll find a clip of her saying that. Yes, right, we will. All right, so Grey Gardens, um, on a gray day here in Abu Dhabi, right? Uh, it's it's extraordinary to have clouds in the sky and it's sort of moody and wonderful. Um, and a great, maybe that's a transition into talking about poems as opposed to my two-foot fringe. Um, so today we have uh, uh, a handful of poems by the poet Kylie... Tedesco. Um, I don't know if it's Kaylee or Kylie. Uh, so I would have said Kaylee, but Kaylee? what do I know? All right. Well, Kaylee, I 
I hope we're not butchering your name, um, but we have poems that are uh, up for discussion here. And who would like to read the first one? And it's called uh, Number Seven, Adulthood. I'll do that I one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was gonna volunteer. Um, I was gonna volunteer Alex, but you you should totally take it. Oh, I want to read the next okay. one. Okay. okay. Oh, right. good, Alex. Right. You know why I want to read this one because it says number seven, and it's my own inside joke to myself. Okay. <laughs> you remember the number seven thing? Okay. So, um, all right. So this is Kaylee Tedesco, number seven, adulthood, after Hilma of Clint. You'll remember me as a zygote. Scrambling towards cronehood on its haunches, I grow bloomwards, my teeth outstretched on the front lawn during the violet hour, spelling spells disguised as poems. Hermit to hermit, we kiss to form a single nautilus, sistering divinity. Tell me, when was it you last heard from your spirit? My guides have abducted me quite violently from the tulips I found myself asleep in. It is all but true. My eggs have clasped in my womb like pearls. My intention is not to create life, but death, though I misspoke. My true intention is to create life out of death. Find me in the portal on the left, right next to the electric fences of my darknesses, all clumped. Nicely read. Yeah. Thank you, thank nice you, thank you. I didn't realize the other connection I had to this poem, which is the bed of tulips. Oh, yeah. My virtual background today is tulips. I wonder if I did that subconsciously. And then I have my virtual background, the... Um, Oh, Hilma of Klimt, I found. Oh, you very succeeded. Well, Slushies, if you're like me, I actually had to look up Hilma of Klimt. And that, I'm a, a little bit embarrassed because the art is amazing. So we will make sure to include a link um, to some of those images, especially the one behind Alex's head. The <laughs> shields. <laughs> Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the show at the Guggenheim, there was this show at the Guggenheim of Helm Afklin's work that was just um, this game changer because she didn't allow any of her work to be exhibited for something like a hundred years after her death or, you know, it, we had just wow. reached the mark. And in looking at her work, um, there was all of this, she had been doing all of these things with abstraction with um, with color, with um, you know, sort of all of the trends that sort of defined twentieth century art, like she had been doing in the very, very early like nineteen teens, in this kind of theosophical way, with all of this kind of mysticism, and so the work was like it was like Klimt was there. It was like. Um, Oh, Modrian and, you know, like all these giants of 20th century art, you just like walked through this gallery being like, oh my God, like she had done all this work. And because she felt that she wouldn't be taken seriously as a woman and because she sort of had all these mystical guides, she had sort of held all of this stuff back. And so going through the gallery, it was like Albers. It was like, you know, it was just unbelievable. And it really kind of changed the way a lot of people thought about 20th century art. 
um, because it's kind of, you know, obscure, up to that moment, obscure um, mm -hmm. woman artist who was deeply involved in this kind of process-based um, mysticism had produced this just fantastic body of work that no one had seen for, you know, close to a century. Oh my God, I'm so glad to know about it, right? Like, honestly, like that's one of the things um, in reading for PBQ that my education gets like, like the gaps get highlighted and then filled in ways like I didn't even know, I didn't even know, right? So it's just a, a, a radical joy um, to learn about this stuff. So thank you. Thank yeah, you. I, I, I saw the show a number of times. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Great. So how about the poem? <laughs> Yeah, let's remind our readers uh, while you guys, while everybody's still thinking about it. Um, if you'd like to see this poem on the page, it's long and skinny. Some of those lines are one word. Um, and just go to pbqmag.org and the poems themselves will be there for you to peruse. Mm -hmm. So I remember the first time I read this, I thought I was reading a magic spell. So I'm so glad to, to learn of the mysticism attached to um, the artist that's being invoked with the poem. Because um, it really did feel like some sort of incantation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and I, it, it's interesting because I wouldn't have um, thought of Hilma F. Klimt without the um, notation in the poem. But sort of knowing that this is kind of picking up from her uh, mysticism. It, it all it all kind of fits in in this really nice way that you know there's sort of all of these different levels of you know the the zygote to crone the sort of the life cycle the embedded in the the you know being embedded in these spheres kind of receiving these voices receiving these kind of um, I mean I. I um, I mean, I, I paid much more attention to the art than I paid to the wall text. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, and, and a lot of the, the well, I mean, I'm, I'm not that, I'm, I'm kind of anti-mystic. Like, I don't really like mysticism. Like, I'm sort of like, I like astrology and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I want to, like, punch people. Um, but, oh, but I'm a total Leo, Jason. No, I'm kidding. I, yeah, I know, I know. I, I, you're, you're lucky you're far away. Uh, you're lucky you're in your own, your own studio. But, um... But I, but knowing that this poem is about that, I thought it worked really beautifully, and then it kind of fit into what Clint was doing, and kind of having the sense of the expansive, mystic, cyclical, you know, the sort of the fractal quality of nature that you know we kiss to form a single nautilus. That that all of the shapes of nature and mathematics and spirituality are just kind of like these endlessly embedded sets of forms. Um, I thought it was really beautiful. I really like the, the part. Um, my intention is not to create life, but death. Though I misspoke, my true intention is to create life out of death. And I forget who said it, but um, there was a line I read once that was like, don't make your life your life's work. And I kind of think about that when I'm reading this because... I'm thinking about also like the history of her, like not wanting to be publicized when, when she was um, alive, like, like Jason had said, and thinking how different that is to like the here and now and how like this delayed kind of gratification, if you, if you believe kind of like that you go on and there's, there's um, an afterlife or mystical things and different purposes that there is even that possibility of gratis gratification later on 
it's just such a stark contrast to right now. And I think for that reason alone, even it's such a satisfying poem. Um, but like, there are so many other things that I really like about it. And, and I also really like, um, my eggs have clasped in my womb and like pearls. And to, to think again of that, like that, delayed kind of idea maybe of motherhood, of giving birth, of giving birth to her body of work. Um, just, it's just gorgeous. And I, and I think the form itself also um, has some delayed gratification because the lines are so short. Um, when, you, when you're reading it, it takes longer to read, even though it, it's actually not that long of a poem in some ways. I, I would have liked a longer line in capital letters. Uh, right so that's part of this um strategy i think in in the poem or that the poet is using too right so it's the short line in this poem but the lack of capital letters but inclusion of grammar so it's just like really ambivalent i think approach to um punctuation in in that sense um right uh which and again you know again as i said it felt like an incantation when she's basically like calling that out my teeth outstretched on the front lawn during the violet hour and i don't really understand what that means but i i'm i'm in right spelling spells disguised as poems hermit to hermit right and then it goes from there to the sort of like doubling 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 and then this kind of like vampiric move right with um that section that sam was talking about right the life out of death, life not death, right? Um, and for me, like the the resonance was to, oh God, is it Coleridge, right? Coleridge? The yeah, is it the rhyme oh. name Mariner? Life right? and death and death and life. Yeah, the rhyme yeah, the, the nightmare, life and death, like the boat that passes, right? The um, the Mariner. So like these, it's, it's like full of these like seriously ambivalent images of both birth and fecundity and also right um darknesses and right because she's scrambling towards crownhood mm -hmm. right in the beginning yeah so i felt like the format made me go really slow if these were longer lines it would have been over too fast mm -hmm. and i think that really helps um I mean, I wanted to speak to Jason saying how he, he's not a fan of like mystical woo-woo kind of stuff. I am, and I'm only getting more so on the daily. And um, so the exact things that draw me in would normally push Jason out. And I say that fact yeah. alone, that Jason still dug it, despite what we know is his huge vitriol, you know, just rah, like we've had, we've had battles on the air, let alone in real life, uh, about things that cannot be proven <laughs> by science. If it's not falsifiable, <laughs> can't count on it. So, so to me, I mean, I think the conversation's over. <laughs> because of yeah, yeah, we're all, we're all on board with this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I liked how much it made me slow down. Mm. Can I just say yeah. that alone? Yeah, what what appealed to me was the word choice. I'm somebody not, I wouldn't consider myself a poet. I'm more into prose, I guess. But when I'm reading poetry, I respond to sounds and like just interesting word choices. But sometimes poets can go like, 
I'm going to go real interesting, but then lose the reader. And I feel like Kaylee doesn't. Like, I'm still surprised by the word choice. Like, I love bloom words just as a word. Mm. Um, but I I'm still get, like, at the very least, a sensation of what she's trying to communicate. Like, kind of, I feel like the speaker of this poem is, like, c- kind of telling somebody else, like, here's my understanding of the world. And I, I just like, I get felt it before I kind of fully understood it reading the poem. Yeah. And I, and the foreshadow, I feel that through the other poems too. There, you get the sensation, but you can also like read it and figure it out. So it's yeah. the surprise of a poem, but still like the emotional connection that it's a hard balance, but I think uh, they do it. Well said, Alex. Yeah. I was just so thinking, I-, I really like the way you said she's telling us how she thinks about life. So I have one one question, though, for the gang before we do move towards a vote, because I think we're ready. So the title of the piece is Number Seven Adulthood. And I don't know Hilma Oxlint well enough to know if that's an actual piece of hers, which would then make this an ekphrastic. Right. Um, And I just don't I just don't know enough. Right. Um, But I will say, like, it's one of those moments as an editor where I'm like, I'm ready to vote on this because I actually want to do the research. And if I find out that that is one of her pieces, I'm going to love this more. If I find out that it's not, it's not going to destabilize my reading, Uh I don't think. But I don't know. What do you guys feel about that? Like, do you know enough? Is this is number seven actually a poem? I mean, um, a piece, Alex? Uh, I found uh, something <laughs> as you were talking. I think it is a piece. It, it is a piece, yeah. It, 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 on the Google, I actually, I actually thought that it was her series. I thought that this was like one of a number of, I thought this was Kaylee's number seven and like her sequence. It is actually um, a Klimt piece. And, and you can look it up. It's on the Guggenheim website, group for the 10 largest number seven adulthood. All right. And and what she's describing is in the is in the picture. Fascinating. All but right. abstractly. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we can think? link to the Guggenheim and, and people can see or our slushies can can see exactly the painting. Although I actually I, I like it better without the painting. Like when I look at the painting and I try to sort of fit what Kay, what Kaylee's doing to it, I'm a little mm-hmm. less happy. I kind of like the poem better by itself before I looked at the image. It's inter- I, I think Marion said it too, though. I didn't need it. Like sometimes yeah, uh, I'm the one always goes, okay, are you engaged enough in the poem that you want to go look that up? I just don't need to look that up. And mm-hmm. I think we're all saying that. So that again, yeah. I can point to the strength of the piece itself. So we don't need to, we might eventually, but we don't need to in order to appreciate it. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's such an interesting response to the project, right? If it is meant to be an ekphrastic poem, right? But we don't really, it's not, you know, all we know is what we got on the page, frankly. So I think we should be... Right, right, right. Okay. Let's do it. What were we going to say, Cass? What were we going to say? I was only going to say it could inspire her and not really be ekphrastic at the same time. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be her immersion in the poem or anything, in the painting or anything like that. It could just be... It can inspire her, prompt her to write this, even if it's not about the painting, right? Right. So anyway, but let's vote. Vote. Okay. Um, okay. So we, I think we should up since we're all looking at each oh, other. Okay, we're all looking. Yeah. yeah. You stole my words right from me. It's so nice to see everybody's faces. Let's see our actual so, thumbs. Okay, one, two, three, and go. <laughs> all right. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I was it. 
kind of tilting towards that anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, the the, the votes are secret, Alex. We don't, we... Yeah, Alex, it's a secret vote. <laughs> oh, how would he know? I said tilting towards that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I caught myself. Okay. Right. So, you know why I said it? Marion sometimes, for some reason, gets flipped out that we throw thumbs this way because she was used to sending emails to, or emails, little text messages to Joe Zhang, our sound engineer. So she's, so sometimes, and that's why I did say, let's just do the thumbs, right? Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, like I like that we're leaving our cameras on and I can see you. Yeah, so I, we should, we, but we should also explain about the tilty thumbs that in actual editorial meetings, while there is the thumbs up and the thumbs down, which are clearly self-explanatory, there's also <laughs> thumbs sideways where we need mm -hmm. to like keep going. We need to keep talking or um, as sometimes referred to as a maybe, but I always see it as, as we need to keep talking. But introduced even into that is thumbs like, at north northeast, where it's like a maybe <laughs> tilting degrees yes, angle, like a south southeast, you know, like, and so so it, over time we've had a protract, you know, we need a protractor to like measure where your thumb is, but we try to encourage people to stick to the thumbs up and the thumbs down because these are the least ambiguous yeah. of our of our yeah, I, I famously was very strict of maybes. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, let me, can go to a lot of places. All right, let me just jump in because if Kaylee listens to this, she's got to know it's a yes, it's in. <laughs> I don't think we actually. Yeah. And it was it was nearly unanimous except for thumb directions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, there there might have been a need for further conversation, but I think we've we've landed on yeah. that. I think we we've, we've covered the ground. I'm thinking, you know, we talk about this being important to share our democratic editorial policy and just to uh, remind everybody we're exemplifying it for you right now, exemplifying it for you. We have Abu Dhabi in the room. We have New York in the room. I'm actually the only Philly representative. Come to think about it, didn't even realize it. Wow. We have these three cities and I think uh, when when I there are very often at meetings where somebody throws a sideways thumb I go get out of town you go up or down right now I will not all thumb you know maybe if it was planted northeast I'm counting you as a yes like let's go right, right? I make you yeah. I make folks commit right but at, at meetings I think they are always very organic and each city might run them like with little different tweaks on all of those thumb rules. I mean, we have the infamous ASO meter in New York and the, what was oh, it? The we early, the don't even talk about contract? that. We'll just, we'll just that let that, that we, we, that's, that's a shameful secret <laughs> that we don't need. That's been gone for 15 years. At, at one point, you know, we, we were talking about everybody getting like a popsicle stick and once in, once a meeting, you were allowed to just throw your popsicle stick in, which meant, that you didn't want to hear that poem anymore. The conversation was dead. <laughs> like a gong? Like you had like a, you could like gong? Stick. A reverse talking stick. <laughs> the but, shutting up uh, stick. <laughs> you can't talk anymore. I have the shutting up stick. <laughs> the shutting up popsicle oh. stick. That <laughs> is zoom protocol right there right i've been thinking a lot about how conversations are shifting and changing like the decorum of zoom conversation you need to like you definitely need to shut up stick <laughs> but not for that so well, when, you're the, when you're the host when you're the host you can mute others you can mute individuals right. <laughs> <laughs> 
but not, you know, it's probably good that Joe is the one, Joe Zhang is the one who sets this up for us because none of us can jump in there and mute each other. <laughs> and so, he, and he's not here today. Might jump in later, but just so the slushies know, we're actually rogue recorders right now. Anything could happen. And we don't have our sound engineer to control us in any way. Um, can I just keep the mic for one? Let's do another. I just have to say something else. I sometimes, when I'm in the studio, I'm just sitting at a table with whoever else might be in the studio, right? And I never have, I might have my phone forward because sometimes Jason or Marion or Sam might text or something, but I never have a computer. When people go off and research things, I sometimes, I'm like, oh, no, no, stay in the poem, stay in the poem, right? But I broke my own rule right now. And just for fun, just because we can or I can today, I sent Kaylee an email and said, we're recording your podcast right now. How do you pronounce your name? Oh, good. <laughs> and she said, it's Kaylee. And okay. I, <laughs> so, so I thought that was pretty funny that, it, that in real time I got her pronunciation, okay. which I never would have done if we were in the studio. That's, I love this. Wonderful. Do you remember when our meetings used to end with like stuffing envelopes and then finding the nearest mailbox? Wow. Yeah. Now there might not be a close right. I mean, yeah. a long time ago, we used to stuff all of the envelopes with our responses, and then we would right. go and find the nearest mailbox. While talking, right? Or like even I remember going through rejections and while talking, stuffing. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Samantha, Alex, this was in the day of something called a sazy. <laughs> <laughs> Self-addressed stamped envelope, old school, old school. All right, let's move on to the next poem. Um, I'm sure Kaylee is excited to hear us discuss the next one, which is called Inside the Beheaded Apartment. And I, I volunteer Alex, who's already indicated. I chose. Want I wanted to. <laughs> You're not volunteering him anything. A gentle leader, gentle. <laughs> All, right. All right. Oh, you, Alex. <laughs> <clears throat> Inside the beheaded apartment, the sky whispers something eggsome, then breaks its rain, thick and frozen. I crave the cigarettes I've never smoked, not Marlboro. I picture you before the time everything could kill you, glamour in your beehive and twiggy dress, smoke hailing the mini chandeliers. I beckon for you to gemstone through me, Egyptology. My lipstick glyphs on the edges of your sink. There are teeth in the walls. Did you know that? Whole fangs pulled clean at the root and toenails too, flaking from the ceiling. I lived with the estate sale busts of Nefertiti, estate sale Victorian lace, bagged and labeled with the year, estate sale chases of green velvet, green because it reminds me of France where I've never been, but where the sun is a vintage wallpaper. In the window across the way, Women in mourning bonnets have St. Columbia hands holding tight to the dogs in their rosary chains. The plexiglass cracks in the shape of a crown or a witch hat. There is no bathroom but the one with the freckled claw foot. The cats have become anxious with the roach scroll of, of the floorboards. We say they perform theatrical productions. One Ophelia lounging in wet lavender, sogging the carpet shag. One Desimonda, Desimona clawing at the tissue for handkerchiefs. Something is crawling in me, the teeth in the walls of boning. I wear the whole house that used to be yours like a corset. This place is no good for us, I tell your lack of, is, of existence. 
All the bodily fluids of every other tenant filth me. All the living hosts whispering in tune with the mold waterlogging my pillows. Bring me my peacock and she-bear, my estate sale saints. It is time I sick them on my landlords and bring back your sight and my seeing. I shall go ahead and make my own kingdom out of deadbolts. Great reading. Thank you. I shall make my own kingdom out of deadbolts. Should we fetch the bolt cutters or no one? <laughs> fetch the bolt cutters? <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I, I thought that album was terrible. I'm the only person who doesn't like that album in the world. Everyone else loves ah. that album. Wow. All right, Jason, that's that's some fighting words. John is a huge fan of Apple fan. He sit down and listened to it like first to last, drinking a glass of wine and marveling at her genius. Yeah. Yeah, everyone else seems to be. I'm, I'm an outlier on this one. Um, but, but back to Kaylee. Yes. Not to steal her thunder. Uh, yeah. So I was hooked on this poem from Exum, which is, uh, <laughs> I may not be, for, my, new, my Long Island accent's coming out, so that's E-G-G-S-O-M-E. <laughs> not an oil company or anything, Exum. <laughs> Absolutely love the line. I wear the whole house that used to be yours, like a corset. And I think like so often, particularly in America where you hear about like storage units and everyone has so much stuff. And I think like one of the first things that I realized when I started traveling a lot, um, I went to, when I was younger, I went to China for a month for a research project in grad school. And in the different homes I stayed in, there were so few belongings, even though there was like an upper middle class family considerably. And I think a lot about kind of the freedom of that, like not having a lot of things and like the idea that like having a lot of things, it's like a corset. It does like tie you to something, Um, but it's like sold to you like something good, like something that will make you like more desirable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, the, the, the use of the language is so amazing and the sort of the, the coinages and just the, the phrasing is so um, lilting. The sky whispers something eggsome then breaks its rain thick and frozen. Like the sort of the rhythms are just so um, wonderful. And, it, and it's hard to get that, um, particularly with like an American accent. Um, the the difference between the stressed and the unstressed syllables often gets really flattened um, for Americans. And with this one, the sky whispers something eggsome then breaks its rain thick and frozen. Like you really hear um, that rhythm so powerfully. Uh, we're all quoting that first line. That is just yeah. a hell of a first line, right? Yeah. And what I like, I think that she's, I feel like this is done throughout is that's a that's heavy and very descriptive and and I don't literary it's poetic right and then the next line yeah. is I crave the cigarettes I've never smoked I love that juxtaposition that it became so real and visceral and and simple such simple language I crave cigarettes right and I feel like she does that several times um, this very lofty rich dense description and then something. Yeah. More direct. Well, and, and those rhythms are every estate sale chases of green velvet. Bring me my peacock and she bear. Like, oh, 
My estate sales saints. My estate sales saints. I love that. That's what I mean. Bring me my peacock and she bear, my estate sales saints. Love it. So I want to say, too, how different this poem is from the first one. And I know we, we try not to compare poems in a batch, um, but you can almost hear it in the way we're reading the lines. If you look at this poem in the show notes, these lines are epically long, right? And there are um, two line stanzas uh, until the single line, last line uh, of the poem, right? And to go back to Jason's point, and and also like I think what makes us so delicious is like a sort of guttural quality to the first couple of lines. It sort of stays in, like the poem. It sort of it it keeps you in a kind of, you know, you're hung back in the reading, right? The sky whispers something. Yeah. Egg summer breaks its queen. Thinking for I crave cigarettes, right? And now you've got that guttural, right? Repeating, not Marlboro. You know, I picture before everything, the time before everything could kill you. Glamour and your if glamour line break, stands break in your beehive and twiggy dress, right? And so that G sound gets picked up from the first oh, yeah, stanza yeah. and then pulled in, right, into the second one. I beckon for you to gemstone through me, Egyptology. The fuck? <laughs> uh, glyphs on the edges of your sink. That is so subtle. And it's like a freaking tapestry, the way she's got that sound stitched in, right? Yeah. Yeah, interesting, super interesting. Hmm. I have to say, the, sec- the section that Samantha pointed to, right? It took me a minute, because I have the mind of a frat boy. Um, on the boning, where'd that go? Yeah, so, um, right, so one Ophelia lounging in wet lavender, sogging the carpet shag, and again with those Gs, right, one Desdemona clawing at tissue for handkerchief, something is crawling in me, teeth in the walls of boning, and I'm like, what, what is that, right, and then it's answered, I wear the whole house that used to be yours like a corset, and now corset gives you the bone back, right, as the structure, of the house, which is so great, right? Like it gives you a sort of architectural structure of the room, not just the, in addition to the emotional structure. Go ahead, sorry, Kathy. I'm so sorry. That's right. It, it, it called back to me that third stanza, teeth in the walls, whole fangs, pulled clean at the root and toenails too. It just, it, somehow that just called that back to me, like all of the bony stuff. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, you know, uh, just to piggyback off the G sound that you uh, mentioned, Marion, I, I mm-hmm. highlighted all the ings in the poem, and it's like a bunch of present, I think present participle, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it's a present uh, participle. Yeah. We're, the, all the verb tense is like, we're in it, like we're constantly in it, and I think I just realized that, like, this, this very fruitful poem, like, like I was captivated by the evocative sounds and images, but um, I like just I'm finding new ways that uh, the author has like constructed this poem just to be amazing. So just want to jump in there with that. Yeah. Oh. I'm I'm a little confused um, about like the teeth in the beginning, though. I I do think it works really well. Yeah, uh, in in the in the stanza that Marion mentioned, but I, I get a little twisted with um, did you know there are teeth in the walls? And I don't know if I'm missing something. Um, 
about what that could kind of mean or what that feels like. Because the, the other things both like sound really great to me and also provide, I think, some, some narration too for me. But I don't know about the teeth. Why are there, why are there teeth everywhere? Right. And so the title of the poem, again, is called Inside the Beheaded Apartment, right? Um, which is just an interesting image, right? Um, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know why I feel like I want to mention this, but I just happened to have read um, Anne Forster, Howard's End, and there's a witch elm uh, that figures in that novel, and there's teeth in the witch elm, which is like tied to this older pagan belief that, um, like, if if you put teeth in the tree and they and the teeth grow with the tree, if you eat a piece of the bark and have any kind of dental issues, the bark will help you, right? Like it, it's a remedy, right? Um, now, I don't know if that has anything to do with this, but it's the same sort of like mystic, creepy, um, like almost like genre level horror aspect, right? Um, that that seems to be creeping into the poem in as much as it's a description. So I don't know. It is a creepy I, image. I just got that last part, Mare. For me, it was just a haunting. It's a bad space, you know. Yeah. So teeth in the wall was a horror image to me. Just another thing to be frightened of or have in your imagination. Even like this place yeah. is so toxic that there could be teeth in the walls mm-hmm. how it feels oh. right yeah. well i interpreted it kind of two ways where the fangs were kind of keeping the person inside like you get snagged on like a teeth mm-hmm. but also teeth are like toenails or well not you don't lose toenails but you clip them hopefully uh like there's things you lose and get maybe cl- maybe not collected around the house so i think it's kind of a weird maybe liminal space of that idea but also this this i don't know visual space that the author's creating i i so that's that's my interpretation of it well, i like the way the sort of the it, the imagery of the past you know i mean there's there's a, a long stretch of time between egyptology and um desdemona and ophelia and so like the sort of the way in which just sort of the weight of a past sort of like keeps coming in through the images that like it's sort of the the dra- the being dragged down by the weights of histories and those histories being um in objects the victorian lace um you know the the imagery of the shakespearean hero- heroine um the peacock and she bear that it just it, it has this kind of um and like i can imagine another poem where i'd be like pick one Right? Like, are you talking about the Victorian era? Are you talking about the Renaissance? Are you talking about ancient Egypt? Um, but here, I think they work really well together, that they kind of have this antiquarian um, heaviness that sort of, you know, as you were talking about with the, with the houses, the corset, and then with the, the structures of the language that, you know, kind of have all of these new coinages that at the same time kind of feel like they're pulling you down and pulling you back. Um, I, I thought it all worked really well together. Right. Is it the silence of contemplation or the silence of judgment? Right? I suspect it's the silence. <laughs> is it is it is it the silence of consensus? It might be. Right? <laughs> 
Shall Only we, one way to find I, out. I think Run Marlies and consensus be that we should vote. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Okay. I'm going to join Marion in her. Okay, uh, it's warming up her thumbs over there. I'll do the same. We should do this. Right here we go. Here we go. The hands. Right. To, to get to move here in my home, Tybo. Like seriously, okay. I think voting is the most exercise I've gotten all day. Um, so, <laughs> Kathy, right on three. One, two, three. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> Yay! All right. Oh, unanimous. Two for two thus far. Nice. Um. So it is 10 to 6, and I think we have a big decision to make, gang. Okay. We have another poem by Kelly, um, but we don't have a lot of time to discuss it. So would you like to take on this poem now, or would you like to move the discussion elsewhere? We didn't start on time. So I think okay. we're closer to 40 minutes of an episode right now. So, But I just want to check in with everybody else in yeah. daylight hours. You yeah. can stand on daylight hours. Can you hang on for that another Absolutely. Time? Wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So let's take a look at the third poem. Um, uh, who would like to read this one? It's called Bloody Mary times three. <laughs> we can never see faces. Sam is saying no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to out you, Sam. That was just so cute. She's just like very quietly. It's <laughs> very loud. So I have to keep muting myself. It's it's been a long day of zooming. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll jump in there. I'll I'll take care of it. Thanks, Jason. Okay. Yeah. Bloody Mary times three. There goes my top skull jack in the boxing from your Susie talks a lot eyelids. Maybe I've been dead a long time. Maybe I've been dead never ever. Live with me forever in the medicine cabinet where my limbs smoke ring doll words through your own reflection. Spinning my head all the way around is what I do for a pageant talent. Every time you call my name, you put a knife in it. My face wounds towards yours. I've become nothing but a blood aura on your tooth fairy bedding. Unlike yours, my wedding gown will lack knuckle buttons and I envy. You should have made me more opulent in the story where I'm saint-corpsed with gumball rings on every finger. Let me live display-cased at the dead mall, cradling the body you've made us. I'll hold you too, if you'd like. We can lace together, spine glued to spine, a jar of our parts now puzzled. Then my head, free by comparison, can decapitate and become a locket facing the wrong way. The backstage of night is what I'd like to see most. Everything zombifying from the dirt of sky. I see the same stars as you. There goes my head. I'm coming back to life. Nice reading. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so Bloody Mary, what was the story again? You gotta look in the if mirror. You, if you look in the mirror and you say Bloody Mary three times, she appears. And I don't know, I don't know, is it, is it Mary Tudor? Like, who is Bloody Mary? Is it Mary Queen of Scots? It must be Mary what? Queen of Scots. Growing up Catholic, I always thought it was going to be the Virgin Mary. So I was scared oh. to death. Like some kind of horror version of the, of, um, the Virgin Mary. Virgin Mary. Yeah. And I, yeah. But I love all of the uh, hearkening back to childhood images. 
the Jack in the Box, the Susie talks a lot eyelids. What a brilliant first line again. Um, the gumball rings on every finger all the way around is uh, spinning my head all the way around is what I do for a pageant talent. I was like, oh shut the front door. Right? Yeah. And somehow this reminds me, I, I think you guys will feel it too. It reminds me in the best way of Marge Piercy's Barbie doll. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, slushies again, take a look at this one. It's a little more like the other one because it's long, long lines, but we do have a little more play with spacing toward the end. Um, and it's set in couplets with, again, a final line, but there's more play with space. You've got to see it to believe it. So I, so it's so funny you brought up Marge Piercy. I hadn't actually thought of that connection, but that's awesome. And it, cause it, for me, it, it sort of um, stayed in that, you know, creepy horror story moment of Bloody Mary, right? And I made me think of um, Carmen Maria Mercado's book, Her Body and Other Parties. Um, if you've had a chance uh, to read it, Slushies, I would love to discuss it with you. And if you haven't had a chance to read it, Slushies, buy that damn book. It's an amazing series of short stories um, that are working in a sort of feminist horror genre that I had no idea like was as extraordinary as it is. So, so when I came to this poem, I thought, holy crap, I'm actually still drawn into right the, the sort of creepy storytelling horror story, right? Like genre, plus, as Kathy said, this like little kids torturing each other with scary stories moments, right? Um, that gets reproduced in this, in this piece. Right, and I do feel there's a little bit of a feminist thing there too. Let me live display cased at the dead mall, cradling the body you've made us. Well, I think about like why uh, we we kind of want to evoke like evil spirits, right? I mean, for me, like the Ouija board or something had a clear purpose, like, does he like me? But I feel like the Bloody Mary, when I played with that as a child, was really about darkness, right? Like Bloody Mary was going to come and do like really terrible, cruel things to you or your friends possibly. And I think about this poem and kind of just like, young women like desire for death right and why like that kind of just continues through the ages why we all have these kind of stories and why I'm initially kind of attracted to this poem the title even before I read it yet I also like feel some kind of shame about that too and I, and I, I wonder why and I think I, I feel that as I get older even about like someone like Sylvia Plath or something like there's a little bit of like um, she's so brilliant, but also there's something like a little shameful sometimes about uh, being older and continuing to like read and want to like read about like kind of death, I think. So I really love this, the idea that like not just the kind of, um, uh, poetic eye like in this poem but like this idea of this like desire for us like continuing to come back um, yeah I'm, I'm a huge fan of this poem mm. well said <laughs> Jason, yeah. Alex well it, it ramps up the, um, the, the linguistic 
um, tension of the other poems. I mean, it, you know, the Jack in the Box from your Susie Talks a Lot eyelids, um, where I'm saint corpsed with gumball rings on every finger. Like it really, I'm live, let me live display cased at the dead mall. Um, it, I mean, it really, it, it, this one I think has the, has the, the, um, the pushback against the grain of syntax is even more pronounced in this poem. That kind of what this poem is doing in terms of kind of taking syntax apart and then putting it back together to kind of reveal the scenes, um, I think is it, it intensifies in this poem. I mean, I think that, you know, we try not to read people against their own work, but um, in this one, you can really see uh, the sutures as the, as the, um, the adjectives are kind of being pushed together and um, the syntax is really being, you know, put under all kinds of um, stress and torsion. It's, 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 it's intense. Well done. I love the word suture, right? Like what a great way to describe the fit on that. And slushies, you know, it's true. Like we, we really try not to read the poems against each other, but now I'm thinking like, you know, as an editor, and publisher, like, what's this going to look like on the website? How do these three poems sit together? What would they look like in the book? To, you know what I mean? And how they actually gain by proximity to each other. And you can begin to see, you know, not just the poet's preoccupations in individual poems, but across them seems to really intensify that sort of like feminist, um, uh, you know, it's funny, I keep coming back to that word ekphrastic, right? Like, it's, it's this, this thing that she does with an artist in the first is also this thing that she's doing with a fairy tale, right? Or a myth in the second, right? Like sort of inhabiting some, some other text that's in the world as a way of triggering her own like creative project, which is just fascinating to watch. Uh, I'm so glad we discussed this one. I really wanted to hear what everybody had to say as well. So I don't know if it's appropriate to tell a little backstory on this poem, but maybe we should vote first and then I'll tell the story. Okay. How about that? Ready, ready, vote? Ready, vote. Okay. One, two, three, vote. Yahoo! All right, it's in. Well done, well done, Kaylee. A three for three. Oh, well, that's great because the title of this poem is Bloody Mary times Time three. three. so um this i want to tell this story uh and i don't feel like i'm i'm certain i'm not betraying any confidences here but it's a publishing side of this which is you know um one of our editors here in abu dhabi amna found this in the slush pile and called it to our attention and we're like oh man this would be really great to discuss on air um and by the time we reached out to request the three poems that were in the pile, one of them was already taken, right? Um, and we were like, oh, that kind of sucks, but the others are really good too, so let's like continue to discuss them. And at the last minute, I asked Kaylee, could you send us another one just to replace, you know, if you're interested, if you've got more, whatever, whatever. And so Bloody Mary times three just came to us yesterday for consideration. So it's funny how the world works, right? Like what you yeah. think you've walked out on actually comes right. back to you in abundance. So. <laughs> there are moments where I'm reading it and thinking, it's my favorite but then when i look back at the others i go oh no that was my favorite oh no that was my favorite so funny so um thank you kelly tedesco and i think um 
Does anybody have any sort of important announcements or things that they're loving right now? I think Kathy might have. So I'm sure our slushies were wondering why they heard different music for the first time in three years. Well, this is another new thing that I'm super excited about, and we all are. Um, that is an audio clip from A.M. Mills, a artist out of Wilbur Records. And um, there were a lot of reasons to pick a lot of different choices um, from Wilbur Records. But um, I think that being honest, I might have chosen this one mostly because the title is Spaghetti by Lorraine. Isn't that a great title? Spaghetti by Lorraine. It's a poem challenge. Now everybody write a poem called Spaghetti with Lorraine. Um, So yeah, so that uh, new record, Angel Eyes, is available um, everywhere you buy and download your records. And um, we're really excited to share it. (laughs) 